You're listening to the e-commerce marketing show presented by Privy. Live from my closet. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for listening to another episode of the e-commerce marketing show. I'm super excited because my guest today is Babak Azad. And I actually just tweeted something about him on Twitter that I figured out would read. Geeking out that I get to hang out with Babak Azad this afternoon, a direct marketing legend. Most money spent and returned more on ads out of anyone I've ever talked to has to be. Beachbody alone was $100 million to a $1 billion. So without knowing who else I've ever talked, how much do you think in your career you've actually spent on ads? About seven, eight, $800 million. 800 And when did... Okay. So can we just give that a minute? Because I think this is where it's time to be like, okay, I might listen to this guy. He might have, he might have a couple of good ideas. All right. And, and how much do you think you've returned on that? Well... I come from a performance background, so you know not every dollar spent is profitable, but in aggregate, that was profitable. So, so honestly, in each business, is the returns are the goals are different. So all I would say is, when running that much, it's not just brand and impression and reach; it's performance based. Got it. Okay, good answer. At the end of the day, you, you spent seven hundred million plus on on ads. So. The first thing I want to get into is like I'm new to this space. I've, I've been um, I've been in marketing, but mostly on the B2B side, and, and this is my first real time in, in this space. And it, it's interesting because like I get to go back and dig through somebody's background like yours, and your background is is super impressive. It's also really interesting. So you go from MIT to Stanford Business School to Napster to Beachbody to your own stuff to GoodRx, like. How did you piece this all together? I saw something on your site that was like, you didn't think you'd ever be a marketer. Like, how did you piece the, the math background at MIT all the way through to, to what you're doing now? It was clearly not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yeah, I, I, I mean, now marketing is a lot more quantitative, but I certainly didn't. You, you didn't I, I wasn't a math major to say I was going to go yeah. be a performance or be a marketer and be a CMO. You didn't go to MIT because you were like, you know what, I'm going to go to MIT because one day I'm going to run an e-com brand. <laughs> I graduated high school in 91, so there wasn't really e-com back then. So like a lot of things, it's just a random collection of piecing things together. And then really, the if you want to call it a break, was really when I got to Beachbody. Because at that point, I was in investment banking. I went, I went to business school. I started a magazine that failed. It was at Napster, but really, like I learned my chops on a lot of this first at Beachbody, and then kind of obviously in the time since. And literally, I got a call from the only headhunter I knew in LA, and it was one of those things where he called on a Thursday, I called back Friday, interviewed Monday, had an offer Tuesday, and gave notice on Wednesday. And I remember he called and he said, "You know, I have a position that may fit your lifestyle goals." and in my head, I was like, I mean, my desire to make a bunch of money and not work that much. Um, <laughs> he, meant, he meant fitness. But no, it worked out. And honestly, like, yeah, I got really lucky. He didn't actually know how much I was making. I actually took 25% pay cut to go take the Beachbody role just because I thought it was it was a finance role at the time. It was finance and analytics. And I have no desire to be a CFO. I knew the business a little bit and I wanted to be in health and fitness. And it was just one of those things, hey, get in there, we'll figure it out. And yeah, it's kind of what happened. You were at Napster, but not doing anything related to marketing. It was like, what, it was a corporate development job? 
Yeah, I mean, that was the legal and public version. So this was not the Sean Fanning version. This was, yep. it had gone through a couple evolutions. It was the time when Netflix was competing with Blockbuster and the iPod and 99 cent downloads were around. So this was a far cry from, you know, what most people probably associate with Napster. Got it. Okay, so so you take, we were getting, we were you take this <laughs> No, I'm sure at that time, yeah. I had a feeling it wasn't the the OG Napster, but I didn't want to, you know, implicate myself or you, so it's okay. <laughs> you take this job at Beachbody doing finance and analytics. Like how long did you do that and and when did you like how did that turn into a marketing job? At that time, I joined we were about 100 million, which, you know, where the business was, like a lot of businesses, the financial results outpace the org and the structure. And that's pretty common. It was not that sophisticated as whatever you might think a $100 million business is, at least what I thought. And that's completely arbitrary. There was someone internal who had a lot of like the quant background and he kind of took me under his wing for a little bit. To be honest, the CFO who brought me on, you know, he was new. So he was doing his own thing and trying to build the team. The accounting department was three at that time. And so I just literally just started digging in, you know, like I'm a curious person. And I remember sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? And how am I going to create something in this role. And I just started like inserting myself into meetings and conversations and, you know, doing some analysis and kind of living in spreadsheets for a long time. And then, you know, like a lot of businesses, when you've grown and you haven't really done that much, like layer one, layer two, layer three of analytics, you pick up stones and you look under them and there's an opportunity. And, you know, started figuring that out and finding opportunities, which really meant places we were not optimized or could be doing things a lot better. And then realized there was, if I was in a meeting, the analytics wasn't being done in that way. So we had to hire people and built a team. So I built the team for the first three years, built what became strategic analysis. And then really, I wanted a more operational role. I actually had a decent bit of influence and brand equity in the org, but I wanted an operational role. So after a few years, we created this role to oversee media and customer acquisition. And frankly, like that was a big learning curve for me because you know, when you come from a finance background and an analytics background, it's really to do the analysis and to kind of like call things out, but you don't have to go and execute it yourself. I have a much greater appreciation and respect for, you know, operators and executors, as opposed to just being the guy who's identifying problems and gaps. You need both, but I, I got a lot more appreciation. And then I realized too, you can optimize yourself out of business. You have to be willing to take risks. Mm. And if you just keep cutting stuff that's not performing without layering on more, you can get your spend down to zero very quickly there. So uh, you got to know your numbers, but you know, I, I learned to be pretty aggressive once we knew the numbers. So Gary V always has this line and, and I, I've stolen it a bunch now and I love it, which is he talks about how creative is the variable for success and the success of P90X. It's a great product. And so are you thinking about the marketing strategy as that's being filmed? Like, are those things happening in tandem? Are you there saying like, wow, you know, I wonder if we can we can chop that up and turn it into something like how did performance marketing and brand go together? Yeah, I mean, so this was Carl and that team. You know, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned, and frankly, we're thinking about this now at GoodRx, is product marketing should be a part of product development and that process. And I think that's what we did phenomenally well at Beachbody, nice. which was the infomercial shoot started literally day one of the test group. And so there was always this idea of, this is a product. Here's who we think we're going to go after. Here's the positioning. And so it wasn't, hey, let's go create this product and then figure out how to market it. It's marketing and product were literally totally combined from the outset. And that was also how we considered what products to actually go and develop. And I think a lot of people do this, which is like create the product and they're like, I got to go figure out how to market it. You should have an idea 
of where you want to go with it from the outset. And I mean, literally now at GoodRx, we're dealing with that and just realizing we've got to link product and marketing much more tightly together, as obvious as that sounds. And then, oh, by the way, it does help when you have phenomenal products that that makes life so much easier, right? I don't know who said that. How are you doing that now, like in, in your current job? Now that you've learned that lesson, like how are you trying to make that happen? One is we got to just make sure the conversations are happening, right? Like that's not rocket science. It's just making sure that when the product teams are working on developing stuff, that there is marketing consideration on it. Like we were sitting in a meeting a couple months ago and there was an update to one of the products on our brand drugs. And we were sitting there saying, oh, we should probably take this, talk to doctors about this, talk to uh, healthcare professionals. How are we going to do this like on, on CRM? And the realization of we shouldn't be talking about that after it's done. So for example, we're looking for a product marketing role and that's the bridge product and marketing. And so part of it is just make sure marketing is part of that conversation. And then there's feedback both ways, right? So as we see stuff from the market, like that should go inform product. And when we're developing product, we should have a sense of what the customer's pain points are, who are going to message, who are the different stakeholders. Again, like, I don't think that's rocket science, but it just, it's a gap. I think GoodRx is similar to Beachbody in the sense of like, from the perspective that financial results have exceeded the organizational structure in some of these areas. And when it's smaller, everyone's in the same room. And as you grow, you know, people are in different rooms and you, you need a little bit more specialization. One thing that I was thinking about is you weren't there from the shift to go on demand, but you were there from the course. Like if you just think about when you were there, 2007 to 2015, mm-hmm. that was like the rise of online, of digital advertising, online ads. And you mentioned that you you might not have been great there, but you we had to the been doing- entirely. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, but here's the thing, right? We had a network marketing business that grew to be quite sizable. I don't know what the numbers are, but Carl, like there were at one point like 400, 500,000 distributors and that many people on Shakeology. So this is one of the things I've learned, which is hopefully, like I'm a big thing about like two offers, two channels. I think what it takes to like scale is you need two offers and you need two channels. And everyone wants to be like risk diversified and, you know, be in four different channels and seven different products. I actually think that's a negative. Like when I was a consultant, my view was if you have four channels, whatever they are, and they're all 25% of your spend, I actually think that's a problem because what I found is companies that have succeeded where they have success, they lean in hard. And that means you're exposed. And that means you're leaving other things on the table. So I had friends who would like laugh and mock me for what we were missing out on digital And at the same time, TV infomercials and network marketing were monster channels and we grew. So yes, we missed, but we were leaning in on things that were working. And I think you have to do that. I think when you are trying to always have the next channel up, but you're not maximizing the ones that are working, that's actually one of the biggest mistakes I think a lot of people make. And you want to be risk diversified, but the reality is you're going to be exposed. Like that's just the nature of it. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like every company that I've worked with and seen that has scaled, and maybe it's on 100%, you got to lean in. And that means you got to leave other things on the side. I love that. In my world, I I do a talk at Harvard Business School every year to a group of like 100 product managers that are going to go. And it's basically like, they're going to be founders. So how should you think about marketing? And the analogy that I always use is like, you don't want to be the cheesecake factory for marketing where like you have, you know, a menu that has 500 things on them and each one of them is okay. You want to be like, nope, we're known for the burger. And if you really want something else, you can also get the shake. And, and I think that's good advice because especially like our audience here is, is small and growing brands. Like you're not going to have the bandwidth to think about 15 different channels, five different channels, like be great at one and then think yep. about how you can expand. I like that framework. So 
two offers, two channels. Do you do them both at the same time? Or is it like you start, you scale, you have a main offer and you think about adding on a second? Yeah. I mean, look, I think you oftentimes, like it's hard enough to get one thing to work. So if it's not working, I'd rather not get to the second, you know, sometimes you're just testing a couple different offers and if hopefully both of them take off, that's awesome. Again, it's one of those things where if you can get one to work and you can start pushing it, you do so. And then you realize, Hey, like I'm exposed. I got to go get another one. But you know, I don't want to underestimate how hard it is to get an offer to work and you know, some, a leading product to work. Right. So having a great product and then having the creative, if you don't have those. It's, I think it's just very, very difficult. And the other side is like, I don't know who said it, but you know, the best way to kill a company with a bad product is to run a lot more advertising. Right. And so, you know, having a good product makes just a little bit of a difference. That was a Gary V thing I heard yesterday with might've been Toby from Shopify, but he said like, nothing exposes a bad product faster than marketing. Marketing exposes the truth. Yeah. I mean, people are going to get it. And so if you have a great product, you want to get in people's hands. If you have a bad product, I mean, look, that's for me, like, you know, when you talk about earlier about bridging performance and brand, I think we didn't really, at least I, let me put it this way. I didn't speak to the word brand much when I was at Beachbody. And I think that's where hopefully my evolution as a marketer and a business person shifted was how do you blend those two? And I've started talking a lot more about it. For me, it's really about customer experience and what is the experience you create for a customer around product and taking care of them and all those other things. But I think they are not mutually exclusive. It's not either or, it's and. And you know, I just think you have to be, you have to be more mindful of it, at least if you want to build something sustainable. If you're doing cash flow and churn and burn, you know, I guess, but that's not really where I focus. So on this topic, I I was, this might've been headline reading. So either somebody wrote a clickbaity headline for a video that I saw of you on on YouTube when I was just trying to find some stuff about you. But it seems like I saw a video clip that basically said, you you don't think that uh, enough marketers or people in e-com are actually out there talking to customers. Yeah. I mean, people don't, right? I mean, people love to sell, especially like when you're e-com. You know, it's, I basically create an ad. I sit, and look, I don't mean this disrespectfully at all. And we're all work from home right now. So it's even more so, but you create this ad, you do this thing, get it out to the market, you ship it. Where's the customer, like direct customer interaction. And what I mean by that in particular is not just the email you send or the chat back. It's, you know, do you actually have a conversation with your customers? Do you call them up? Do you actually go back and forth? And, you know, oftentimes the people who have the most direct uh, communication with customers is customer service. And oftentimes they're the lowest comp people. And, you know, it's kind of like this afterthought as opposed to they are hitting the front lines of it. And, you know, what I worked with a lot of my clients on pre when I, before I came into this role was how often do you ever call a customer? And yeah, it's not cheap, but get your employees to call customers once a quarter and, you know, just, they can do five or 10 calls and one customers don't expect it. And literally it's not a sales call. It's I'm just calling just to say, hi, see like, why did you buy like so far, does it meet your expectations? What are you hoping to get out of it? Like who does that these days? No one does that. So one, you're a differentiator and two, you actually get a dynamic conversation uh, with your customers about what they're going through. Like, and it, oftentimes what you'll hear is not what you expected and what you thought. And so that's feedback and you got to decide how you want to use it. But yeah, yeah, I think in general people shy. I know a lot of people who like, they make it as difficult as possible to contact or when a customer reaches out, they like they're they're annoyed or they're 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 concerned, right? As opposed to here's an opportunity, and um, you can't make everything perfect and right, but there's a lot more opportunity there to be had with that interaction. And there's even like there's so much marketing, even if you even if you don't want to you don't want to talk to customers, 
think of it as a, as a way to get marketing content. Cause if you talk like the way, when you talk to them, that's where your best headlines are going to come from. Ad creative ideas are going to come from is their actual word. Yeah. Well, that's where using reviews, you know, some of the best headlines, just kind of look at your customer reviews or look at your competitor reviews about the pros and the cons. And you can use that language or at least those themes in your, in what you do. Right. And so that's another way, even if it's not direct, you're getting that feedback. Okay. So, um, you, you, even though you missed the boat on, on, on digital, I mean, in, in some cases, like you didn't really miss the boat, you didn't need the boat. So it was fine. But, um, even though you missed that boat, like the reason I, I got into interested in Beachbody was because of, of the whole like Carl connection and Gussie. And, and I got obsessed with like Dan Kennedy and direct marketing and info marketing. There's definitely some, you definitely have to have, I want to tap into this, try to at least, you have to have some like deep direct response marketing lessons that are, that are not even based in technology, but just like psychology that you've taken with you that you've now been able to pass on to your clients and your teams, right? Hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what, so what do I say my learnings are? Um, one, uh, yeah, so have a great product, makes a big difference. Um, focus on, in the message, you know, it's, you know, like, look, I'm a basics and fundamentals guy. So I don't think anything I'm going to say is rocket science or like a, a newsflash, but you know, I think this idea of like your customers don't care about you, they care about themselves. So, you know, speak to them and speak to that point. I think focus and messaging, it's really easy to try, try to cram a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, like find the core thing that you want to, you got to lead with. And that's hard by the way. Right. So, um, but working that, um, you know, from a, I'm not a copy guy, so I'm not going to try to give copy advice. Uh, you should not listen to my copy advice at all, frankly. Um, but, and then, you know, ultimately you got to like, this is a bit of a grind business and business model. So from a performance side, like you got to be in there, you got to be digging in, um, you know, and that's where it's, whether it's the quant side or the qual side and listening to your customers and, and how do you use that? Um, you know, ultimately tell us, so how are you going to be a dif- what, how are you going to differentiate yourself? That's a big, big thing, right? Which is, you know, especially these days, like you got all the drop shippers and, and again, like I got no judgment on that, but it depends on what your goals are. And so if you're going to, you want to build a business and something that's going to last, you got to stand out and you got to figure out what that is, whether it's product or community or tapping into identity or whatever that thing is, um, you got to find what's going to be different. And I don't think that's performance driven. That's just running a business, right? Well, especially today, like you mentioned drop shipping, like whether you agree with it or not, one thing that it's done is like, it's basically commoditized almost any product that you can be selling. Like there's always going to be a cheaper version. And so like, if you can't it just clouding up that perception in a consumer's mind, is like, well, I'm, I'm not sure. So I'm just going to go with whatever, like I Google and there's an ad and it's cheap and, and whatever, where the, the, a brand is about like brand is your opportunity to differentiate. And, and especially today, I mean, I, I was looking at your website, right? Basically all the brands that you had as a consultant are all or any of the successful DTC brands today, they're all mission-driven brands, and that is the differentiator. Yeah, I mean, look, you have to you have to lead with something, um, and that's going to connect with your customer, and it's got to stand out. Like, I don't like the whole play to the bottom and lowest price thing. I've always been in this kind of premium for premium model. My wife has a, a mommy and baby products business, and you know, a couple of her products are fifty to seventy-five percent higher than the com- competition on Amazon, and you know, she's like Amazon choice on on some of these, right? And so with better product, you can do that. Um, it's not easy, but yeah, you've got to find something that's going to connect with the consumer. It doesn't have to be necessarily a Tom's model where it's, you know, that kind of mission driven, but it's got to be something that's going to connect, um, 
to, to you know, I, I think it's really the strongest things like tapping into identity and community. Um, you know, with, with GoodRx, certainly is a heavy financial component, right? It's, it's comparison shopping for prescription drugs is our core. We're launching telehealth or we've launched that. Um, so I don't know if we tap in necessarily identity community in that way yet, but you know, cause it's, this is, it's healthcare. That's a totally different conversation. Um, but there's gotta be something that's a key, key differentiator for people. Let's talk about good RX for, for a little bit. Cause I think, so, so were you doing consulting and then you, and then you went full time back in here? Why, why'd you want to go back? So I spent five years, I left, uh, five years ago yesterday, um, from Beachbody. Went to go start something. The team fell apart uh, pretty quickly. And then I started picking up clients. And so I was basically a one-person shop. Um, really personal reasons. I didn't want to build an agency or consulting company. Like, I actually love hiring and managing. Um, but GoodRx was one of my clients. Um, and uh, so co-CEO, his son and my son were in preschool together. And near the end of the school year, we started talking. And uh, I came in to help with TV at that time. Um, and uh, there was a woman internally and got an analytics guy and we started kind of, we started doing more. And so I spent basically two plus years between TV, some stuff on Facebook, retention efforts, and then Trevor reached out six, seven months ago now, well, a little bit more than that now, and said they were going to bring, they tried to bring me in earlier. I was, had no interest. Um, I was not looking. Uh, I was one of those people who said, I'm never going to say never that I won't ever go back in because I never saw the point of being that absolute. So it was, there was certainly a component like, it'd be nice to, but you know, things change. And, um, Trevor reached out and said they were going to bring on a CMO and was I interested and was the first time I actually, uh, really engaged and was, was interested. Um, I mean, it's a phenomenal business. Uh, the people are awesome. The culture is great. I love what we do. Um, particularly now, you know, it's, uh, I'm certainly grateful and appreciative and, uh, you know, I think we're actually doing something. I mean, we kind of exist because a lot of things about healthcare are busted. Um, but between giving people um, options on pricing that can save, you know, up to 80, 90% sometimes, and uh, now telehealth and working on mail order, like, there's just a lot of things that we're doing that are innovative. Like, I don't like using the word disruptive, but like, we are. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I, uh, I was surprised as any to be interested, because uh, I was not looking, I didn't go shop it up to other things, I didn't go interview. And frankly, last year was my best year ever as a consultant. So um, it was just the right time. And I thought it was a phenomenal, and I still do. I think it's a phenomenal opportunity, both to be a part of something with great people. And they're also good, right? Professional challenges for me. And that's, that, that keeps it interesting. Uh, you have to, right? How do you think you've changed? Like if you look back over the last decade, so, so, you know, now you're CMO, uh, this is a, let me ask, I'll tell you my perspective, why I'm asked this question. So this is my second time now running marketing at a company and, I'm, I'm now like feeling this like, oh my God, I get it. I get why experience matters because now that I've seen it somewhere else and, you know, from tools to tech stack to hiring to people, I'm like, oh, this is why experience matters because the second time around, it's a little bit easier. There's different problems, but so what's changed for you over the course of a decade? Like, how do you operate? How do you run your team differently now than you did, than you did maybe two, three jobs ago? Um, one, I, so Building team is not easy, duh. Um, but I think part of that is learning to get like what is it really you want and getting A players um, and A and A plus players. I think that's again, it sounds like so obvious, but that makes life a lot easier when you have good people um, and people you trust. You know, you, it's it's a lot easier to manage. And by the way, people you don't trust, you speak to them in a different way. So I'm always cognizant of my own levels of trust with my team and frankly with other people. 
Because mm-hmm. if I think about like, or I think most people will think about this. If you think of people you trust and you don't trust, the way you communicate is very, very different, right? That's and a good so, tell. Like, I'm just thinking about myself. Like, that's a good tell for like, oh, that's, oh, why am I talking like that? Oh, because deep down, I don't trust this person. Right. Yeah. And when you don't trust someone, you speak much more granular, like you try not to be condescending, but like sometimes that slips I and mean, we're human beings. Right. And so, you know, there's, but whatever that level is, um, you know, I think I have a lot more um, empathy and um, you know, I look, I went, I left um, a great business and role at Beachbody, you know, went to a startup, told everyone I was going to go do this. And then we literally just couldn't get off the ground. Right. So you got humble pie. And I've had a humble pie a few times. <laughs> the magazine I started after business school, I say it was the best 25 grand I ever lost, you know, live with my parents for a couple of years. And rather than being really grateful, I was embarrassed about it. And so like, you know, um, there was, there's definitely been, and I, some necessary humble pie. <laughs> um, but I would say the way I think, you know, I think part of it is also like, you got to have great people. You got to empower them. I think um, I am hands-on without being micromanaging, which I think is a delicate balance. Um, I love actually not being that granular. Um, cause also as CMO, like you shouldn't be, it's not beneath me. It just, I should have teams. Right. And so, you know, that's, I'm, I'm always focused on that. Um, and we'll say like the professional challenge within good RX for me is, you know, one we're scaling media. So like these are new levels that I've really not done. And as we bridge from performance to brand, you know, as an org, right. And I mean, like at some point you start spending, a certain amount that it's, you can't do spot level and granular level attribution. So how do you bridge that part? Um, how do you start to build brand in the org? Um, and again, we haven't had a brand role, but to be clear, like for me, brand is about customer and product. So we absolutely care about that, but you don't hear like what's when I mean, we're working right now on this on brand strategy, brand positioning, things like that. Um, and really bringing that much more to the forefront to what we do. And by the way, like we're, we're on board with it. It's just now a matter of like getting the right people to help us with that. Hey, can you actually, can you explain that to me? So, so eventually you spend, you have to spend enough money where you're on channels where you can't measure that it's not direct response like TV. And, and so what you have to start measuring brand awareness and how that's like, what, what can you actually try to explain that to me? Yeah. I mean, so at some point, um, and this usually doesn't happen for a while, you're running so much media that, and they're overlapping that, um, it's very hard to isolate signal and noise from specific a specific channel or, or a specific media type. And so, Got it. so, so like saw, saw your TV ad, but then Googled you, then clicked on an AdWords campaign. And then the, the attribution there is going to say AdWords when nah, it's actually TV. Got it. Yeah. And so like for TV, for example, we do spike analysis, like what happened pre post to spot airing, things like that. But when you layer that with we don't do podcasts yet, but podcasts and, um, you know, direct mail and search, like it just becomes much more challenging. And so this idea of a blended CAC and blended CPA is, uh, you know, gives me at times like a lot of uncertainty, but at some point you're going to have to move there. Um, but that's a, that's a good challenge. Right. And like, as you start to scale, like at some point that's going to hopefully kick in. And by the way, there's a lot you can do before that. And, uh, and I've been amazed at how, I mean, this analytics team at GoodRx is, by far the strongest I've ever worked with. Like it's just an amazing, amazing team, which makes again, my job easier. Um, but as we start to bridge into conversations about brand agency, brand positioning, brand campaigns, um, you know, we have to figure out how to navigate that in a world where business that's run very performance driven for eight years now starts to think about blended as opposed to that. And certainly awareness becomes one of our KPIs. And that's the first Mm -hmm. year it's ever been that unaided awareness is actually one of the things we're tracking this year. 
this is why I love doing this. I'm literally taking notes for my own being for my own. This is great. Um, so I, I want to make, I wrote this one down. So I'm going to follow up on this one first. So this is the first, how did you determine, like, I've always been fascinated. Like, when do you know, this is the year we're going to spend, you know, 50 grand on an agency and they're going to do this, or maybe you're doing it in-house or whatever, but how, what was it like the tipping point for you needed to go and measure, you know, aided versus unaided awareness? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a great answer to that question. Um, you know, and arguably maybe we should have done it two years ago. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's right and wrong. I think at some point, you know, so I think they're confluence of a bunch of different factors. You know, we, we have, we have a really strong position in the market. Um, our board and, you know, Silver Lake is one of the bigger investors, but we have Francisco and Spectrum on board too. They are, uh, they are phenomenal. Um, I've been really quite impressed and, you know, I've never, I mean, at Beachbody, we had some outside folks, but I really didn't know it. Like I've been very, very impressed with, you know, the board and how much they're encouraging of it. So that makes a lot, that makes it better. And, you know, I think at just some point you start realizing we've got to start leaning into this. I, I don't know if there's any specific milestone or events. I think just probably you start thinking about it and you're like, all right, is it the right time? And then you also got to figure out what is the way to blend this into the org. And, you know, again, one, an org that has been so performance driven and, you know, especially when it comes to our marketing dollars, you know, you're, you want to, you want to figure out, can you inch, do you have to do step function increases? Um, and so how do you balance that tension? And I don't mean tension in a bad way between the roots of the business from a marketing side being performance driven to how do you start to think more about brand? Something that frankly, like if you look at most of our marketing, it's very utility transactional functional, right? It's, it's savings on your prescription drugs. You know, there isn't, uh, we, we haven't done a great job of conveying like that broader mission um, and that broader brand message. And we're working on that, right? We have some components, but I think we could do a much more, it could be, it could be better aligned across the org. Um, but yeah, we just, we've been talking about it and finally just said, look, we've got to, it's time. We've got to start, we got to start making some headway. And frankly, there's apprehension, I think to a certain extent, cause you just don't know, but at some point until you get in there and you, fi- you start doing some stuff, you're just, then you figure it out. Right. And, uh, yeah. You can always be apprehensive, but until you get in there, that's the only way you really find out if like what the value of this, like whether you like it or not and whether it's working for you. So it's basically like the bigger, the bigger your brand grows, the bigger blended CAC you're looking at. It becomes harder and harder to isolate a specific channel. Well, we start looking more at blended CAC, (laughs) Um, right? So, you know, we have certainly performance by channel, by TV, by direct mail or whatever. Um, we also look at blended CAC, but the reality is if some parts of your spend start to increase, you're going to have to look at things on an overall basis, which by the way, again, like that's not a comfortable place to be if, you're, if you've come from the performance side, right? Because it's all about what's the most granular layer of reporting and optimization that I can manage to. Um, so, which I agree with 100%. And then, you know, but look, there's, there's a good amount of spend to be had before that. And so, you know, we're, we're getting closer to that point where, it's going to be more difficult and we have to start prepping now. All right. We, I could talk to you forever. I have a thousand questions. It's selfly, selfishly, this is going to turn into like a, a secret way to get uh, consulting uh, for, um, advice from you. Don't worry about it. We're never going to publish this. This is just for me. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what do you, so, so, so it's got easier. It's of my time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Let's see. I'll, I'll post my Venmo. Um, I'll post your Venmo after what, what it, so, so it's gotten much easier to launch a, uh, an e-commerce business, right? Like, you know, I, I, any idiot like me could, could go set up a Shopify store tonight and start selling uh, hoodies. But um, it's definitely like, 
why do you think e-commerce marketing is is hard then? Like you can't just have a product and and make money. Like why what where's the marketing? Speak to like the entrepreneurs listening to this who are like, eh, marketing, I can hire my cousin, you know, my 16-year-old cousin to do that. Yeah, I mean, with all due respect, if you feel like your 16-year-old cousin can do it, try it out and see what happens. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, look, business is not like, it, there, there's all these things like, well, business is business and like, you don't have to overcomplicate things. There are a lot of components to making a business work and making marketing work. Um, I remember there was a thread I jumped in on where uh, someone was asking like, what are your biggest challenges with agencies? And, you know, why do agencies not work? And my comment was like, oftentimes that it doesn't have to do with the agency. Like, hiring good people internally is difficult. Like I just, marketing is not the easiest thing. I mean, and especially, you know, people talk about it, like Gary Vee talks about it. You know, there's so much going on in the world that you grab someone's attention these days is just very difficult. So that first thing of what are you doing to grab people's attention? And then, you know, people's attention span, even once you got it for a moment is like a tab away and how many different devices they have. So one, the level of distraction is just enormous. And we all know that. Two, even when it wasn't, and you know that was one of the beauties, frankly, of the infomercial business. Whereas, you know, when people are watching a, a show on TV, you know, yeah, they may be changing channels, but there's a stark contrast to being in brick and mortar retail when you see everything, right? You have a hundred different options right in front of you, and so you, the comparison is there. With an infomercial, you have a captive audience, and you're trying to compel them to purchase, right? I miss parts of those days, um, but I think I think marketing's tough, right? You got to get people's attention, you got to draw them in. You know, there's a whole bunch of technical stuff, like how good is your website? Like, is it easy for people to check out all these kinds of things? Is your product good? You know, are you actually communicating need um, and value to them? There's a lot, like marketing is not easy and there are a lot of components. That's why I say like, you know, copy, you know, I'm working with, with Doug uh, on our co-CEO on a spot right now. Like the fact that I am helping on creative and production and copy is really disturbing <laughs> because I got too much respect for, I really have too much respect for the craft. And I also think people like, I think, you know, once you start doing it and you've seen other people who are phenomenal, you really start to appreciate it, but we kind of got no choice right now. So just, you have to do it. Um, Wait, so but, is the CEO writing copy? Uh, Doug and I are co-writing. Um, Love that. Yeah. I mean, we did a spot where um, we were actually, I guess one of the, we were the first pharma company, pharma, we're considered pharma in some worlds. Um, you know, we, we don't sell the drugs, uh, prescription drugs ourselves, but right after we went, you know, I talked to Doug about doing an at home spot. And so literally it's Doug in his office, shot it on his iPhone and we're running that on linear, uh, broadcast TV as well as on streaming. And, you know, you talk about creative, you know, prior earlier in the conversation, we spent, not that much money. Doug's not getting any royalties for that spot. Um, and we used, and we, it was editing basically. And I look at that, we did it in like a week and a half, not even from start to finish and got that out there. And that creative is actually working pretty similar to the ones that we've spent months on and a decent chunk of money on. Um, you know, again, this is a different time and, you know, hopefully we'll get back to some new normal, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's enough in there that's compelling. And, um, but yeah, Doug and, and we got a couple other folks on my team, certainly, um, that were working this, uh, but yeah, I, I just got too much respect for the craft to think that I'm the creative guy. <laughs> That's awesome. Though. I mean, you, so, 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 so for you both actually writing the copy and to be doing an iPhone, to, an iPhone video filmed in the CEO's house, that's going to be on broadcast TV and, and streaming. That's, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, well, here's the thing, right? You kind of got no choice. I mean, like, well, to put together, right. I mean, but here's the other part, right? If you're in healthcare, health tech, and you know, you're trying to help the consumers be 
you know, be healthier to even do something that looks like you put together a big production shoot like is both irresponsible, arguably, and also off brand, right? Because that's, you know, if you're trying to promote healthiness and, and like getting people together right now and like be in tight quarters, like that's not a good idea. So, you know, there, and then I think you just have to figure out how to be creative. And I think a lot of people are dealing with that today, which is especially people who've done bigger shoots um, in production efforts, whether it's digital, I mean, uh, photography or video. But the idea of like, how do you leverage this kind of thing, CEO at home, uh, UGC, animation, um, you know, we've got to be more creative, piece together B-roll footage. Uh, we're putting together a telehealth spot right now, which is another one dug at home, but then we're going to layer in animation um, or visuals, right? So it's not just him. Um, so we've got to, you've got to figure out a way to be creative and navigate because you need to develop new stuff. Would you, but you're, you're strictly trying, you're trying to act on video because you can't shoot it because of everybody's at home right now. Like it wasn't the first idea. Uh, well, we weren't. Well, first we idea because of the circumstance. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have a massive urgency around the next creative. Um, we're fortunate that our creatives generally last, knock on wood. Um, but it felt, it felt authentic and, and it was. And I think we spent actually a lot of time about tone and making sure there was respect and empathy in that because that was early on. Like that was like March 20th or so, give or take, which was, you know, right the second week, I think of work from home for the U S for many people. Um, so we had to work on tone and, you know, just direct to camera. It's the CEO. There was this sense of, and there is like relatability, right? I mean, he's at home, everyone's at home, you know, that's, it was authentic. I mean, Doug is phenomenal on camera. He is in person, the same person he is on camera. He's very authentic very nice. I mean, like just, there's a very strong heart. Um, I mean the, the whole leadership, I mean, the whole business, I think I feel like most people at GoRx, if not everybody is like that. Um, but Doug, that he communicates that very well to the audience. And so it, it is, it's meant to be authentic, but it is authentic. And it was relatable. And we said, look, let's take a shot. Let's see what happens. And, uh, it was worth it. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we got to, we're working on another one. Uh, we're, at some point, you can't just keep doing the same thing. So we'll have to figure out what the next iterations of this are. But, you know, you got to, you, you put it out there and you see. And even if we'd gotten the same performance and like a little bit worse performance, but we got a brand lift, we also felt like that was an angle. Um, like even on that one, the CTA is not as aggressive as, uh, as, as some of our other spots because it didn't feel appropriate to be saying this thing of like, you may be at home, you may be out of work, you know, you may need some help or additional help on paying for your prescription drugs. And then go download the free app today, right? Like, it's got to be tone appropriate, right? So you know that's you can't do the same CTA on that kind of spot. It just it doesn't make sense. Okay, one last question. If you can't answer it, it's okay. But on your website, there's a, a, a screen. I took a screenshot of a quote from Athletic Greens, which I take every day. So free plug. And, and the, the, the quote says, "One of your first suggestions, which took us only four days to implement, is going to net us 300k." In 12 months. Can you share what that change was that only took four days? Sure. It was get them up on Amazon. They weren't selling, <laughs> they weren't selling on Amazon. That's how I buy it. That's, a, that's how I've been buying it for about a year. It's on subscription now via Amazon. Yeah. Uh, look, I have a very strong, very strong feeling that every physical product business should be selling on Amazon. I know there's a lot of dialogue of like, you can't build your brand on Amazon, all this stuff. And I get that. I understand that argument. And yet there are Amazon only buyers. It is a tab away. Uh, and the, another big, big reason to be on Amazon is it is a review site. 
and uh, people use it that way. So even if your pricing is better, people many times will go to Amazon, look if you're there, look at the reviews, um, what are people talking about, and that is going to inform their decision. And so even if you don't want to, like, even if you, the whole brand thing, I get it, but you're also, look, I, I just think like there is major, major incrementality with very little cannibalization. And I totally appreciate that Amazon will knock off products and all this kind of stuff. They do that selectively, but even then their Amazon bis- basics, like some categories have struggled and some have done better. So it's not a given that they're going to go after you and that they're going to beat you necessarily. Um, but yeah, that was, I mean, we got them set up on FBA and uh, yeah, it was, they saw lift across the business uh, and it didn't really affect their D2C sales. So, you know, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Isn't it, is it, wouldn't you just like as a marketer, wouldn't you just think of it as a distribution channel? Like I'm not an e-commerce. I know that I know the pros of, you know, Shopify and Amazon thing, but it's the biggest place where people shop online. Would you not want to have your product? I think people either are concerned about cannibalization. They're concerned about this point about like, I can't build the brands. You know, I don't control the experience. I don't own the customer, uh, which is true. You don't. And I would still, there are, there are many customers who may not buy, who are not going to buy from you if they can't buy from Amazon. Uh, and it, particularly if you're a newer brand, but even if you grow, right. And so, um, people just want to go there and it's easy. And, you know, I think even for like a month right now, some people saw some D to C increase because of all the delays at Amazon. That's short lived. Like Amazon's got their stuff together. They're back to normal and they're going to go back. And so take that lift. Um, and by the way, there's oftentimes halo from channels. Like when you run Facebook ads, there's a halo to your site, obviously, but there's also a halo to your, not halo to your site. People would go to your site. There's a halo to Amazon. So that's another part. People oftentimes miss that attribution that some of your paid media isn't showing up in website sales. It's showing up in Amazon sales. And so you can navigate that part. But ultimately, look, it's for most businesses, if you're in physical products, and especially if you are smaller, being on Amazon, I think is just a no brainer. Um, going to FBA, the seller central route, you control your pricing, you control the listing, and, um, and yeah, I just, but yeah, that was, that's, I still feel very strongly about that, that that is one of the better, and frankly, you can launch on Amazon, you know, too. And, uh, I know people who've built pretty dang, pretty darn big businesses on Amazon and haven't been able to figure out Shopify. <laughs> so <laughs> that's another side. Well, all right. I got my money's worth. Thank you for, thank you for doing this. I, I, I appreciate it. We had a little hiccup in the morning, in the, in the middle, which we'll, we'll splice it together. You know, we got a whole crew. Just kidding. We just put it up on Fiverr, uh, but <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll take care of it. All right. I have so many notes I've been typing during this. I'm excited to get this out. Um, you know, I, we'll, we'll plug all your stuff for you. You don't, you don't need to do your plug. Uh, thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, of course, Dave. It was great to be here. All right. I'll talk to you soon. I'll see you on Twitter. Adios. Take care.